Jazz Uni Tracker. Jazz in the yellow jerseys. 6 and 0 this season up from 1 and 7 last year. What does it mean? We'll let you know on Roundball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm JP Chunga talking to Niall Campbell on this Monday and Etan Thomas later on in the program about athlete activism and his journey to finding his own voice. As a player who was in Washington, D.C. during political unrest, and he still went out there and voiced his opinion. He also had a great podcast with Kyle Korver, who I would encourage you to listen to it as well. What does it mean? 6-0 in the yellow jerseys. I don't know. I had no beef with the jerseys. I was completely fine with them. They're different from the standard ones that jazz fans usually enjoy. Were they cursed? Maybe. I think the best way that it was put was on Twitter by the jazz account. A couple weeks back, good night to only those who never slandered the statement jerseys. That's, I think, where we leave it. But as we enter March, the biggest stat that I look at is that the jazz have been in number one best in the Western Conference for the longest of any of the Western Conference teams, 37 days. And they spent all of February atop the Western Conference standings all but one day. And even if they lose the next two, they'll spend the All-Star break atop the West. Enjoy it now. Enjoy it as we head into the break. And let your other friends around the NBA know. Number one team in the NBA, it's the Utah Jazz. Okay, as always, find us, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher. Let others know that they're listening to the podcast. Five stars, nice reviews, that's all I ask of you. We get into a lot of jazz discussion with Nio and then a little more bigger picture stuff with the Tan. Starting off with Nio on what she's looking at with the schedule. Schedule release came out last week. What game is she looking forward to the most? The game against the Wizards. So they play them on March 18th. It's not the same for me because, like I said, like, I don't actually get to be there. If I was there, it would be, like, that would be the best thing in the world because that means that I'm walking through the arena and I'm having that moment. But that's not the same. So now it's just kind of like, okay, wait for them to come home or wait for them to come here um, on April 12th. And so that's kind of what I'm looking forward to. Wizards have been playing a lot better, so I'm kind of, I, I feel a little bit better that they're not as, they're not as bad as they were when they were supposed to play the Jazz. So I'm hoping that it'll be more of a friendly competition and that we just calmly, you know, the Jazz just calmly blow them out by 10 to 15 points like we usually do in the fourth quarter. <laughs> well, and they probably feel better. Feel all-star. They're Star. starting to pick things up. It, it can't be all bad when it comes to Wizards land, right? Yeah, but we're not talking about the Wizards. We're not a Wizards podcast. Are they taking notice of what the Jazz are doing? Oh, everyone is taking notes. (laughs) Everyone is taking note of what's happening. I mean, you can't help but take note and see what's going on and and realize that we just go on these crazy streaks. I I accidentally, like, you know, like on Instagram, you you end up on people's lives and stuff. Um, You accidentally click on it. And so I accidentally clicked on somebody's lives, live, and they were talking about the jazz. And they're like, the jazz just go on these crazy streaks. I was like, yeah, well, I'm glad that you guys think that. And then I moved over to like the next slide. But yeah, so people are taking note. They're seeing that we are coming full force. Um, we're just good. We're just good. And that's just, and that's just it. And you just got to take note of it and know that like we can compete with the best. 
and you better believe it. Well, that was uh, the joke that we had with Angie after the Lakers game. Team might be good. Team might be okay this year, huh? I don't know. A little bit. Looks like they they have some sort of thing that's working around them. Might be around their two all-stars and the all-star coach that they have for Sunday's game, Rudy and Donovan. Okay, I want you to lay out the case for who you would want to be drafted by. Because Team Durant, Team LeBron, LeBron's team is the one that Coach Q will be involved with in coaching, coaching in quotes. But still, who would you rather play alongside? Who do you want to see Rudy and Donovan play with? And do you want to see them on opposing teams? I would love to see them on opposing teams. I know. I think that's the most fun scenario for people if you're watching the All-Star game. See those teammates go one up against each other. Yeah, I would love to see them on opposing teams. Who do I want on the team that's not with Quinn? Um, I think... I would choose Rudy to be on the opposing team because I think Rudy's just been with Quinn for so long, um, you know, for, for a longer time than Donovan. And so I'm like, Donovan, you know, he, he can go with Quinn for a little bit longer. If it was, you know, if it was a different case then maybe, but I think I would like to see Rudy on team Durant and, and Donovan on team LeBron. I think that would be cool. I also think it's kind of cool. Like for, for Donovan to be able to, being on team LeBron's team and, and working with Quinn and working with LeBron and as Donovan is, you know, a huge part of this franchise. Um, I think that'd be good conversations to have um, being with LeBron. So I think that would be my choice. And then seeing Rudy, Ooh, Rudy and what I want Rudy and Giannis together. That would be crazy. I, w- I want that to happen because they were teammates last year and we mm-hmm. weren't able to see a twin tower lineup where they're both playing alongside each other and it's just yeah. 14 feet just stacked onto each other did you see him uh, hopping yesterday in the sunday abc game oh my goodness oh, i heard yes yes yes, yes, Giannis, yes Giannis is huge and that guy was galloping down the sideline it was crazy having fun i was like oh my god no he's insane no, that would be crazy i would love to have seen like since kevin durant's not playing it would have been cool to be able to have seen yeah Grant and rudy um but yeah, Giannis, the, the 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 former defensive player of the year and the current, like that would be cool to see those two together. Um, if we can't get Anthony and Rudy, you know what I mean? It, like since we can't get AD, then that would be cool to see um, Giannis and Rudy. So that'd be interesting. I think I'm trying to figure out who Kevin. Well, Kevin Durant's probably going to draft Kyrie first because you know LeBron won't draft him first. Uh, I wonder who would be LeBron's first pick. My first pick, I might lean Joker or Embiid. With LeBron? With LeBron. LeBron can play with anyone. LeBron is the cheat he code. He's a supercomputer. He, he, he might do Luca. Yeah, that would be weird to have two LeBronish players because Luca, Luca and LeBron play similarly. Yeah, but I, you just know LeBron also, like, he loves young guys. He loves being able to, like, mentor, which is why I think he would choose him. But I'm like, he wants a good point, so I don't, but I don't think he would choose Steph immediately. I just never – I don't see LeBron and Steph on the same team. I just don't see that happening. Um, hmm. Maybe maybe the Joker, I guess I could see that. He did Kawhi, I think, first last year. I think LeBron, – LeBron picked AD first last year, then yeah. – 
Team Giannis went Joel Embiid, then LeBron went Kawhi. Yes, that's what it was. It was second. Yeah. So, and well, it's not Giannis this year. I have to keep remembering that it's Kevin Durant choosing. So Kevin Durant's gonna be Kyrie first. So that it has to be Kyrie. Somebody has to choose Giannis. Ugh, we don't know these guys' mindsets. So it should be interesting. Needless to say, Rudy and Donovan. I hope we have their on separate teams. I would love to see them on a one-on-one. Donovan calls for a screen. Let me go against Rudy Gobert. One v one offensively. See how hard it is to go against Rudy. Yeah, that'll be the best. And it's so funny. I don't know if you like, so on the media availability is one thing that you guys, um, one thing that they've been talking about is um, not only Rudy and Donovan, but how Coach Q will be, um, if he's going to be chill, if he's going to be more relaxed, or if he's still going to (laughs) be super, you know, super high strung. I want this to be done. Some, uh, I think Joe said that he's still going to call a shoot around early in the morning. If Team Durant goes on an 8-0 run, Quinn's right out there. Time out. We got to talk things over. It's quite the honor for him to get that spot as the all-star coach. I don't know if everybody in this league knows how great Quinn is with what he had to slowly build in Utah of having years where they weren't making the playoffs, where it was all about development, to where they've gotten now where you have these two all-stars in Rudy and Donovan. Quinn's been huge in in making them into the players that they have today and making this entire team to what it is, which is number one in the entire league. It's been a journey for sure. And I think, yeah, you, you appreciate his journey more because it's not like he just, they put together a super team and they're like, here, here's coach Q, here's Quinn, like come and, and, and get these guys to where they have to be. No, they had to work for the past few years to see the growth um, to come together, to form whatever, we talk about the brotherhood, to form the brotherhood, to have trust for, Co- for, for Quinn and all of that. So, um, yeah, I think it's definitely, and then to get the all-star, just like cherry, cherry on the top of the, the Sunday, icing on the I'm, cake, I wanted to say, but. I'm not sure that if you told Quinn when he was in Austin in the G League mm-hmm. at that point, hey, in a couple of years, you're going to be coaching Team LeBron at the All-Star Game in Atlanta during a pandemic. I don't think he would have envisioned that for himself. The other big news that happened when it re- pertains to All-Star, Donovan Mitchell going to be in the three-point contest. Dropped it like low-key. He was, oh yeah, I'm going to be in that. <laughs> so we already know, because Chris Haynes over at Yahoo reported it, Damian Lillard is also going to be in the three-point contest. Donovan having an opportunity, though, to become the very first person to win the dunk and the three-point contest in the history of the NBA. Can he do it? I have faith in Donovan. We lead the league in in three-pointers as of right now. Um, I don't know his exact stats. I think it's something like 38%. Yes, Mitchell, he's shooting career high 38.9%, and he's fifth. Okay, so yeah. So it's, it'll be interesting, but I mean, you never know with Donovan, right? I think once you get into that, that savage mode, that game mode, that let's go mode, he can do anything. And that'll be pretty cool. Like to see him win the dunk contest and then years later come back and do the three point contest because he said that he's trying to chill out on his dunking. I think that'll be a great way. Um, I think that'd be great. So that'll be interesting. The only thing is, is it the three point contest? 
during halftime of the game? Dunk contest during halftime. The skills and the three pointers are pregame, thirty okay. minutes before. So it's like a warm up. So it's like warm ups. That's yeah. easy for Donovan. Easy money. That's easy for him. He shoots three points during his warm ups all the time. We'll see who else is going to be named, but Dame is a huge, huge one to keep an eye on. If Steph gets involved, if Trey Young, who is a hometown guy, might get involved as well, since it's in Atlanta, he could pop over, shoot threes. Could be very interesting to see what Donovan does. And I like this wrinkle from last year, if you watched it. They had that super long rack of balls that they were shooting from Dame Lillard range, from Logo Dame range. Could be Logo Don when it comes to the three-point contest on Sunday. Yeah, I think that's, I think it's exciting and I'm really happy that he's doing it. Um, It'll be exciting definitely to watch, not only cheer him on for the game, but be able to cheer him on for that. But Damian Lillard didn't get to do it last year. So, um, you know, he's coming back with a vengeance. He got injured right before, so he couldn't participate in the All-Star or or the three-point contest, but he performed on stage. (laughs) But That's uh, true. He did have that performance. Who did he do it alongside as well? It was Dame. He had a feature. He had a feature in that performance. Uh, why'd you ask me? Let me see. Dame Dalla at All Star. He performed with Little Wayne and Jeremiah. How did I forget that? Yeah. So Dame Dalla performed last year, but now we're back seeing Damian Lillard. So this is definitely interesting. Did you see the? There's going to be a celebrity game, two on two. Quavo against uh, Jack Harlow, and I forgot the other two people who are also going to be involved. I did not know that. Yeah, it's happening Saturday, and then the money's going to go to HBCUs as well. Winner of the team. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. I didn't know that. So that'll be Quavo can play. Quavo's been a huge part of the celebrity games that they have every time this time of year. Yeah, we talked about this. NBA. I doubt that they're having a celeb game this year. Oh, but it's well, what's a two on two? Lil Baby, two chains, facing oh off against Quavo and Jack Harlow. Is that fair and height wise? Little baby is five five. No, okay. wait. Little baby is not dub baby. Lil Baby might be five seven. Jack Harlow, that might be, I don't know if Jack Harlow's tall or not, but Quavo's not that tall. Quavo's like 5'10". 2 chains is 6'5". Yeah, 2 chains is huge. So it might be a mouse in the house situation. Jack Harlow is, yeah, that's going to be a little bit weird. I don't like the size. They better be using the perimeter for the Harlow team. Yeah, but at the same time, these guys are all born in, like, the 90s, and 2 Chains is born. So it's, like, going to be, like, old guy. Because 2 Chains is definitely, like, let me see. I think 2 Chains is, like, 40-something. He's 43, and everyone else is 28 and younger. Have you ever played against somebody who has old man game? No, I haven't. If 2 Chains realizes what he's got, he'll just back his butt into the paint, hammer down on the ball, dribble, dribble, dribble. Hook shot, good, two points back the other way. True. Like, if, if, if they're using their size, you know, yeah. uh, it might be a little trouble for that Harlow it team. Might. We're going to see. That's going to definitely be an interesting one. I'm like, height-wise, 2 chains has, is uh, way above everyone else. 
but age-wise, everyone said, we really don't know what we can, I mean, again, this is not real basketball, guys, so, like, they're not. No, we have to analyze it like it's real. We do, we do, so we're gonna have to see. Quavo, though, has, has skills, so it's like Quavo, and then it's just the out, the outliers, Jack Harlow and Little Baby, we don't know what to expect from them, so it's gonna be interesting. I think Harlow might be a sneaky MVP pick. He might be. We'll see. I don't know, though. I love Quavo. I have to go with Quavo. Harlow, Louisville, and uh, Donovan. Donovan connections. Oh, gosh. With another Louisville. Wow. Okay. So m- might have to channel that spider energy on the court. Spider on the court. Got to bring it down. How are you doing with the Jazz 100 things to know as a fan? It's so funny that you brought up Louisville. Because I was just reading about Dr. Duncan Stein. Daryl Griffith. All right. And, um, and then, so he was 16, and then 17 was Donovan Mitchell. So it was Louisville and those two connections right there. Um, and then we got into some of the Hall of Famers. That was a longer chapter about the Hall of Famers. Um, and then I was starting to begin to read about Sloan's resignation. Um, but we talked about that quite a bit. So... Yeah, no, learning about, learning about Daryl Griffith and, and his, he was kind of like, I don't want to, again, to say that it's the same of where we are now, but he went through the trenches with the Jazz. He was able to up his three-point, um, become a, a great three-point shooter during a time when three, 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 shooting from the three-point line wasn't a big deal or wasn't as mandatory as it is today. Um, and yeah, so that was pretty cool reading about him. And then I didn't realize the Louisville connection, but I loved how it went back to back with that. Um, two Louisville greats that have come and shaped the program and shaped um, the organization and franchise. So, yeah. I had no idea that Donovan had a connection to Daryl Griffin before he came to the Jazz. Really? Had no idea, but they did. They Daryl had a restaurant in the area, if memory mm-hmm. serves correctly, and Donovan would, would come in get that those pearls of wisdom from Daryl Griffith. And then eventually Donovan would make his way here. And those two would connect when Daryl would come in for jazz alumni events. There's a good video of them just going back and forth about what it's like to make it to the NBA from Louisville, uh, how, how you adjust to Utah and doing all those things and and Daryl being an above-the-rim type of player, being a dunker like Donovan. So those similarities also compound on it. That makes me excited like to kind of like see that and see those relationships. But that's just one thing that you have to – I mean, they said it in the book. Donovan was just really good at like building relationships with people um, and really kind of just taking in all of the organization, um, and not just the organization, but Utah in general. Um, I think that really shows why he's such a great and profound player today. But yeah, it was really interesting to see that Louisville connection. I was like, wow, who would have thought? If you ever heard anything about Kentucky and college basketball, they are huge down there. It is crazy. You're either UK or you're a Cardinal. Wildcat or Cardinal down there, blue or red. And that game between Louisville and Kentucky is, what's the biggest rivalry that you know? Celtics-Lakers that you've been a part of? <sighs> Celtics-Lakers for sure, but there's, no, there's another one. Um, I would, yeah, I guess I would say Celtics Lakers right now, but I've been a part of, been alive. There. Howard, who was Howard's big? Uh, Hampton, Howard Hampton. If you wanted to go Howard. there, how was that? Howard Hampton is a whole weekend. Howard Hampton, it's like you play the game on Saturday, you go up to Hampton the weekend before, 
and you're there. It used to be like a whole like classic event. It was the Howard Hampton. It was a big deal. Um, you might not even, but the thing is though, with Howard Hampton is like, you go to the game, but you're really just trying to go and it's secondary. Yeah. It's secondary to what's happening at the tailgate, what's happening at everything else. You got the Howard Hampton, but it's always Howard Hampton. It could be football, it could be basketball, it could be the debate team, anything. Howard Hampton, it's like, oh, we're going head for head, head for head always. It's like, who is the real HU? Who is the real HU? The battle of the real HU is huge, 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 huge. Even now, if you see somebody from Hampton, you're like, and I went to Howard, I'm like, oh, you went to Hampton? They're like, yeah, I'm like, sorry. Like, that's literally how the conversation is. So Howard and Hampton is a very big deal. But the thing is, though, it's really no competition because Howard is always the first and only in the first HBCU, I mean, not the first HBCU, the first HU. Howard U, Hampton University used to be an institute, okay? And then they changed over to a university. So there's really no, there's no questions. So There's no competition, but UK, no competition. UK and U L, it is close. They battle yeah, each other. So imagine what you're thinking in the tailgate and then make the game also primary once you get there. Yeah. It, can, it is a huge rivalry out there. Yeah, I have never, like, yeah, that was just, it's just different, but like, yeah. You think of Duke and UNC, like that's another one that's like really big. Um, impossible to get those tickets to those games. Um, <laughs> I think about way back in high school, like having gone to like Seton and like mm -hmm. DeMatha High School being such a great high school um, where so many greats have come out. Um, Adrian Dantley. <clears throat> um, so many greats have come out of there. And so DeMatha and Good Counsel, if they're playing against Good Counsel, which is another big high school in the, um, in the area, that was another big game where you're, you would have to, the game's at 7 p.m. You're there at four trying to just get a seat to a high school game. You're there watching the JV. I'm sometimes, I was sometimes there watching the freshman game. Freshman, <laughs> JV, and then finally get to the seat, um, finally get to the varsity game. That's how crazy it is. So, yeah. <laughs> it's intense. Well, th that's what it is for UofL and UK and, and to see somebody make it the transfer from the University of Louisville to here. Huge. Because... Kentucky has that pipeline of players that come out every single season. They just roll them out. They have a, a longer history. Louisville, it's a little uh, passion project to yeah, see I Donovan make good. And, and he gives back to that school all, all the time. Do you see his uh, Louisville Cardinals wearing the Spida Don issue twos that have all the Louisville colors? They're red and black. Looks cool on yeah, no, he has the shoes. He's always just giving back. But it is so interesting because I still remember when Louisville was in the Final Four and how big of a deal that was. Yeah. I, like, at that point, I was watching the Final Four. Like, I'm going to Louisville. I was trying to figure out how I can apply and go to Louisville. <laughs> but watching um, – and then watching the girls' basketball team and how great they were because it wasn't just the, the, the guys' basketball team, the boys' or boys basketball. Um, the girls' basketball team was also amazing to watch too. So, yeah, for sure. Did you learn anything in the reading of Donovan? I feel as if – so much has been pumped about what Donovan's all about, but even reflecting a little bit more and reading more, you can even gravitate to something new. Yeah, I mean, it was more so just kind of like, oh yeah, I remember that happening. Like like watching Donovan in preseason versus Jason Tatum. And you're like, wow, like this guy, I just remember the conversation of like, everyone like, this guy's kind of good. And to me being in DC, like excited to see like, you know, him come out I was like wow like this guy's actually pretty good like you have 
people, I just remember like, you know, you remember people talking about Jason Tatum, you remember people talking about Luca, you remember, like there's certain rookies that you remember people talking about and Donovan was one of those. Um, so it was just more so like, wow, like, I remember this. And then um, you already knew Donovan gave back, but um, hearing that he was going to high schools and going to different games and just supporting the community and signing a whole bunch of sneakers and just giving away stuff all the time, paying, getting tickets for people that want to take their girlfriends on dates, like there's little things like that. Um, you know, I, I've heard, I already knew he was, he was huge at giving back. I remember like seeing on Twitter, like somebody's like, Donovan, can you please blah, blah, blah. And you just see him quote T, tweet. Um, so I've been following him for some time, um, but it was interesting to kind of like read it all written, written out. So, and then knowing like, I didn't realize how big, how big of a deal it was for the franchise to go from having like this losing record to getting Donovan, not knowing that he was going to be the greatness that he is. And then coming after Gordon Hayward had, after him leaving, I didn't realize like how, um, how great that was for the franchise. Like for some outside looking in, you're like, Oh, this is just a great player. But for actual people that are part of the franchise, you're like, wow, like this is divine timing. This couldn't have been better. Like stuff like that. So that was always interesting, but that's something that I've been finding out having worked for the organization. It was wild to have that off season. And then on top of that, the right person, right time, face of the franchise type of player, do what he's done so far. So, and he has a lot more to do as we've yeah. seen just this year. They've, they've got big and lofty aspirations that they're trying to achieve. Yeah. At first he said he wanted to win like work of the year. Now it's, MVP and defensive player of the year. And there's a lot of aspirations that he has on his bucket list of things. And I'm just like, oh, he said he wanted to be an all-star. And I'm like, done, two times. Like, <laughs> two times over, done. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. I really am excited. I, I love this team and, and reading about them and learning more about who, who these guys are and, and who makes the franchise. Um, yeah, like what makes this franchise truly special, the hundred things that Jazz fans need to know. It's just been fun kind of reading it. I'm at... 20. 20. Okay. 80 more to go. 80 more left. We're going to continue the journey alongside you. Happy Nio Candle. Bye. Nio, let's head over to Tom Thomas, where I started out discussing where it all started for him. Discovering basketball? where you learned to love it. Well, I, I was born in New York, born in Harlem, and I moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma when I was younger. Uh, my father got transferred with American Airlines, so we ended up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I spent all my summers um, in Harlem, in New York. And so my grandfather would take me to, um, you know, New York games, you know, I, I would go to the Big East tournament, you know, in Madison Square Garden. You know, he was a Knicks fan, so I was a Knicks fan. You know, he loved, you know, St. John, Syracuse, Georgetown, the old Big East, the, you know what I mean? The real Big East and, you know, the whole physical play, he just loved it. So that's what I really gravitated towards. So I knew that I was going to play in the Big East. Um, you know, I, I, I loved all the Big East teams and, you know, worked out Syracuse. Well, I only caught it at the very end of the Big East. Literally the last year was my first year. Okay. for Syracuse. Okay. And then I had to enjoy the ACC and all that it, it had to offer. But right. what were the bigs? Who inspired you as somebody to watch Big East basketball, something that was so big on the East Coast? Well, my favorite player was always Alonzo Mourning. That was my guy. 
That's what I like to watch. I like his physical play, the way he blocked shots, the way he rebounded, the jump hook in the middle, the, you know, dribble hard to the middle uh, sweep and then spin the other side and dunk, like all that. That's, that's who I like. That's who I wanted to always emulate. And so watching those battles with whenever they played anybody was fantastic. You know what I mean? Like, but all of the, all of the Big East games, like it was a different time then. So it was a lot more physical. And that's the part that my grandfather liked so much. So seeing that physicality and, you know, you was going to war when you played in every Big East game. So that's really what, what I fell in love with. Convenient. Alonzo Mourning, Georgetown. And you're yeah. a Syracuse guy. Yeah, Where'd yeah, that, yeah. How'd that happen? Well, that's what I always grew up watching. And, you know, of course, once I went to Syracuse, we were rivals. So we used to give Georgetown a business. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it was, it, it was, it was a, a great honor to give them the business all the time. But, yeah, no, my, I remember my freshman year, I was up against Jahadi White. Now, if you remember Jahadi White, he was a monster. And he was quick off his feet. And so I was this skinny freshman. And, you know, I, I, I fouled out so quick. You know what I mean? It was, it, was, it was bad. But I knew I had to get in the weight room because I wanted to play that way. And, I mean, like I said, every, everybody we played, you had Jason Lawson in Villanova. You had, um, you know, um, let's, let's see, in, in, in uh, who we got Boston College, Danya Abrams, like every single game was this big physical player. And so, you know, that's, that was great. It was just great. It was a great time. It's so different than now. Cause now if you even like, you know what I mean? You know, you know, whistle at a guy, they flop and then it's a foul. It was not like that when I played, like you have bruises after each game. Like you got to sit in the ice tub, you know what I mean? And so that, those are the good old days. You got me all reminiscing like I'm old now. <laughs> I love it. I love it because it was a glory time, okay? And and it was different. There was fouling in the NBA, but it was not the Big East type nah, of fouling. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. It's funny because I, I see things that are flagrants now. And I'm like, no, that wasn't too – they wouldn't even think about giving you a – you know what I mean? Anything back in the day when I played. So that, that's what I like. What was a welcome to the NBA moment for you where it started and you, and you realized, okay, I need to make a jump up into what I'm doing. Well, see, I was in a different situation. So my, my, my rookie year when I got drafted to Dallas, I um, actually hurt my foot. I broke my foot. So I had to have surgery. So I didn't play my first year. And then the next year I got um, traded to Washington and then MJ came out of retirement. So Every game was like, you know what I mean? Sold out. You land at a place. It's like thousands of people, cameras flashing. It was like traveling like with Michael Jackson or like, you know what I mean? Something like that. So that was my wake up moment. But I remember, you know, I was like, wow, this is amazing. I'll never forget this. I was like, man, look at all these people. Look at all these people cheering and stuff like that. And Christian Leighton said, they're here cheering for MJ, not for us. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, okay. All right, I get it. <laughs> so that was kind of like my wake up moment. <laughs> what was the experience playing alongside Michael Jordan? Amazing. I mean, how many people could say that, you know, we're teammates with a goat? You know what I mean? I mean, and wherever you have him landed, you know, the goat or a goat, I mean, playing with MJ, it was, it was amazing. And, you know, it, seeing his, now he was 40 years old when he was playing with us. And, but he was still MJ. He was still killing. He was still, you know, had that magic. And then just, I think one of the things that was the most, um, you know, interesting was seeing other people's reactions to him. Because after a while, we see him every day, he's a teammate. And then we would go out somewhere and we would see people literally like look at him and like faint. 
You know, like those old, like those old Michael Jackson, like things where yeah. you see, like they come and they're screaming or they look at him and just start crying, like stuff like that. Like we would see that. We were like, oh, wow. Yeah, this is, this is MJ. You know what I mean? And so, I, I, but it was, it was a great experience. What was practice like with him? See, it wasn't like what, what they showed in the documentary um, because he was okay. older. So it, it was a little bit different. Um, now he would still, now if you give him, get him riled up or somebody, you know, for some reason challenged him, which I don't know why you would do, but some guys did every now and then, then it would turn into something different. I never challenged him. I never said anything. I was very quiet. I was on the team with, you know, like Oakley and, you know, Popeye Joes and MJ and all these vets. Jihadi was, I was like, I don't need to say anything. I just sit here in the corner and watch y'all and listen and learn. You know what I mean? So that's, that's what I did. Well, that's interesting that you say you're so quiet because your voice is so powerful and you see a book of poems that you publish while you're still playing. Yeah. And then after in your post-playing career, you're writing about athlete activism. Right. What have you seen change just in that space where now it seems as if players are, are much more comfortable being loud, being proud about who they are and, and getting into the activist space? Oh, it's a totally different league. Um, you know, a lot of that I credit to, you know, Adam Silver, who is a totally different commissioner. Um, you know, I interviewed him for my book, We Matter, Athletes and Activism. And I asked him, I said, would you ever, you know, you know, punish anybody because they spoke out on something that you disagreed with? Because that's always a caveat, something that you disagree with. Anybody can applaud somebody when they agree with what they're speaking about, but something that you disagree with. And he went into detail and was like, no, I wouldn't. We have a history of activism and Bill Russell and Kareem, and he, you know, he said all this different stuff. And that's, that's different than, than when I was playing. You know, when I was playing, it was a little bit quiet. And you know, I, I remember having guys, I remember when I spoke out against the war in Iraq. Um, and now, you know, like, like right now, if you ask anybody, whether Republican or Democrat, about the war in Iraq, they'll be like, yeah, you know, we shouldn't have gone in there. That was a mistake. But then, at that time, it was like, it was like the Dixie Chicks, Michael Moore, and like two other people that were speaking out publicly about the and war. And you were in D.C., correct? I was in D.C. At, at that point. At that point, speaking at anti-war rallies all around D.C., everything like that. So it wasn't really, you know, received as warmly as it is now when guys speak out. You know what I mean? But I, I, I do like the, the, the transition now to where, where it's become more of the norm. And I love how guys are speaking out and using their platform and using social media, which is a whole new, we, I didn't have social media when I was playing, you know what I mean? It wasn't, it wasn't out then. And now guys could, you know, use their social media and speak about whatever they want to and reach millions of people. And it's, it's just a beautiful time. The tools have certainly changed from where you have to be on, on the late night show, or you have to be on the daily show or, or right. Good Morning America, now they, they can blast out their thoughts mm -hmm. on social media and it reaches such a huge platform. And there are so many different media markets. There are podcasts like yours that you right. had uh, with Kyle Corver recently where you can have right. these bigger conversations. What have you seen birth in the way that players like a Donovan Mitchell, like a Mike Conley, who you spoke to on the Black History Month roundtable last week, mm -hmm. what have you seen from them and in, in how they're using that? Oh, I think it's fantastic. I mean, I can't say enough about them. You know, I, I saw Donovan Mitchell when he talked about Breonna Taylor um, and he, I, he was so passionate and he was so, you know, his, his words were so eloquent and you, you felt him like it's not something that he was just 
doing or saying just to say, like it really, you know, meant something to him. And, you know, it, having, having the, the round table at the NBA with uh, Mike Conley Jr. I mean, it was, it was the, the project that he was talking about that he's doing. And the reason why he, you know, you can, you can kind of look into athletes more than a quote or more than, you know, you, right now you can actually see a little bit more of what they're passionate about and who they are because back then, you know, you know, you would see athletes and watch them play for years and not know anything about them. Like literally not know a thing about them um, except for what's reported, which is usually, you know, how many points they had, you know, if they've, they've gone to a slump, you know, how they're, you know, something like that. But now you get to look into a little bit more depth into what, what athletes are passionate about and the way that guys like Donovan Mitchell and, you know what I mean, have been using their platforms. I think it's just wonderful. I think it's wonderful to see because they're, 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 their platforms are so big and they're so powerful and they can reach so many people with it. And it's just, you know, it's just made. I can't say enough good things about it because it's really, you know, it's really great what they're doing. And the other thing I have to bring up as well is just that player media dynamic, being able to trust a media member with your story. Can I trust somebody with showing a little bit more of my personal side? Right. Have you seen the, the media part change? And how did you approach media? Because, I mean, going to Syracuse, you have all those media guys who, yeah. who grow up in that <laughs> environment as well. Well, it was interesting because, you know, I, I saw, and we mentioned before when I was speaking out against the, um, you know, the war in Iraq, I remember before that, before everybody kind of caught wind of it, I wanted to, I approached the media, I approached the Washington Post and I approached the Washington Times, our beat writers, and the guys who I would see literally every single day, you know, begging for a story, begging for yep. a quote, something like that. Yep. And I said, well, listen, um, could you do an article about me because I want to be able to come out and say that I'm against the, this, this war in Iraq. And they were like, Ooh, no, we can't do that. I'm like, really? You don't want to do it. They're like, yeah. yeah, we can't touch that one. And both of them said that and the Washington post and the Washington times. And I was like, wow, I'm like, that's, that's a little shocking. You know what I mean? Because literally y'all are begging normally for a quote about anything y'all do. Y'all do an article about, you know, what this player does you know, what he eats before the game. You know, you know, like anything, but you don't want to do anything of substance like this. And that's where I saw, I was like, oh, okay, oh, we need something to change. And so, so afterwards, um, you know, I started seeing a lot of former players go into the media and I loved it. Like, it's great. You know, I love what, you know, uh, Matt Barnes and, you know, Steven Jackson yep. are doing with all the smoke. I love what the knuckleheads are doing you know, with, with, with their podcast, I, it's, you know, Quit Richardson and Darius Miles. I think it's great. And you see the quality of the interviews that they're doing and, you know, how they're going into depth with different athletes and they're, you know, athletes we've seen for a long time, but we didn't know all this about them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we, no, I do. I, I just, I watched the, um, the interview that the Knuckleheads did with Carl Malone. I didn't know all this with Carl Malone. You know what I mean? And I was just yeah. like, wow, that was a really good interview. Like, I feel like I know Carl Malone a little bit more now after this interview. And that's what you want. That's what's supposed to happen. But all before, you didn't know anything about an athlete. And that's why I like that that's changing. I had that experience with Kevin Garnett. I grew mm. up the biggest Kevin Garnett fan. And then mm. he goes on all the smoke with Matt Barnes and uh, – and Steven Jackson, I feel like I didn't know Kevin Garnett at all. Right, right, <laughs> I had no right. idea he was super 
eccentric, super loud. Well, I right. knew it was super loud. That's the part of, that I loved yeah, about yeah, yeah. him. We but that. <laughs> I didn't know how, how superstitious he was. Right. How he, he'd keep a dollar bill in his, mm-hmm. a $2 bill in his shoe as he yeah. would play. Yeah. Luck. There's a difference between speaking to a media guy who's 5'5", mm-hmm. five, five, like me, and then <laughs> speaking to a peer like right. a Matt Barnes or, or yeah. Steven Jackson. They just have that, that built-in connection. And it's no fault fault to me or, or to mm-hmm. his own. You just have to accept that as, as part of what's going on in the current landscape. That's true. And there's also a, a different comfortability. You know, I mean, every, every guy has, you know, every player has had some type of interaction with the media that was negative. Like yes. every player, like you go down at some point in their career, you know, either he was misquoted or a media person said something, you know, you know, bad about him or trashed him in an article. And then, you know, it's it, some type of something negative, negative experience. And so there's been this different, um, interesting kind of dynamic between player and media. You know, I remember when I was in, in, at Syracuse um, and, uh, you know, a media member wrote something bad about my free throws. I think I was struggling with my free throws and he wrote something bad about me. And I'll, and then after the next day, he said, um, hey, how you doing? So can I get another quote from you? I was like, I don't want to talk to you after you wrote this bad article about me. You know, <laughs> and, and, and it, it's that type of uh, dynamic that's always interesting. So when you look back and you look back at some of the people like Bill Russell, who, who they say wasn't really the warmest or Kareem, and they explain why. It's a lot of these still things that come up where it's a, you know, that dynamic between player and media. And, um, you know, it's been around for a while. It's a human reaction. Mm-hmm. How, how would you, how would you react if somebody trashed your, your show or your article? Right. It'd be the warmest the next day. Exactly. And, I don't know. I've, I've found that uh, with, with media, at least on this side, we are way more self-conscious than players. Because oh, I got you. <laughs> players players watch film of themselves screwing up every day. Yeah. Players yeah. watch watch and rewatch with their coach about you need to do this. Yeah. But right when you reflect it on onto us, it gets a little bit screwy and we get a little a little protective of the yeah, microphone. I get it. And I get it. That's true. That's that's a good assessment. <laughs> the media topic that has gotten a lot of people riled up here, Shaq mm-hmm. and, and Donovan Mitchell. And the way that Shaq went about his criticism of Donovan, which bordered on on a little bit uh, rude in, in mm-hmm. the way that he approached that uh, post-game interview. You wrote something for basketballnews.com uh, mm-hmm. about Donovan and the, the, the way that the Utah Jazz are playing right now deserves a little respect. How do you see that interaction and, and how do we change that between more of an old guard in Shaq and what's rising with the new stars of today? So that, that interaction, I think it was, it was, you know, beyond awkward. I think it was just, you know, it was borderline disrespectful, to be honest with you. I, I, you know, Shaq is, is, is a legend, um, you know, Hall of Famer. Um, he's an OG in, in this, in this game, you know, he is somebody who's respected, um, you know, somebody who guys look up to guys who are his contemporaries and guys who are younger, you know, he, he is well-respected. And I just think that if he was going to challenge Donovan Mitchell, if that's what he was attempting to do, he could have done it in a much better way. I thought that it, the, the execution was horrible <laughs> of how it happened. And I, and so when I wrote the article, it, it just so happened that the, the Utah Jazz were on this unbelievable run and they were playing great and they were the top team in the, in the NBA and everything like that. But that was kind of a side. 
I thought that that Shaq owed him an apology, even without all that happening. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just in the execution of his challenge. And I, I think that I, I don't mind a player um, or, or OG like Shaq challenging somebody, but there's a way to do it. You know what I mean? And you're on live TV and, and on the biggest platform, which is inside the NBA. You know, Donovan Mitchell just had a, a great game, 36 points. It was a great win. He's feeling good. It's a post-game conference. And, and, and you say that. And then you ask him for what, what his response is. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that you have, you know, what it takes to take this team to a championship. Uh, what is your response? And it was like an awkward, I was like, why would Shaq ask him that? Like, are you serious? Yeah. Live on TV? Like, like that's, that, and I, and I honestly, I thought that was, you know, I thought that was disrespectful. So that's why I wrote, wrote the article. Um, but, but to, you know, Utah's credit, they were playing great now. And, you know, I saw where Shaq said, okay, well, maybe that was because I challenged him. And I was like, okay, Shaq, don't miss the point here. The point <laughs> is that still, whether they were not, they're playing great now, or whether they're not playing great, you still had terrible execution with what you was trying to do with Donovan Mitchell. So that's what I think. What have you seen from the Jazz and from Donovan watching the NBA from a bigger, wider view? Oh, I mean, I love what they're doing. I mean, I, they're, there's so much. I, I love the, the um, balanced attack. You know, they have so many people that contribute. I've, I've seen games where they've had over, you know, four people scoring 20, or they've had, you know, uh, 10, however many people that all scored double digits. Like, it's, it's a balanced attack. It's not like it's a one-man show. And that was the, one other thing that was, you know, interesting about Jack's comments. It's, it's not a one-man show. It's not Donovan Mitchell leading them to the promised land. You have all these, they're a well-coached team, a well-structured team. They're, they're shooting well from the outside, a very high percentage. Their ball movement is great. The, the, the um, interior defense with Gobert is, is, is great. The, the perimeter defense is great. The, the I mean, you could go down the list. It's like, check, check, check. So a lot of teams that, you, that, that we're seeing that are playing well, they are maybe a one or two man show. You know what I mean? And, and they're, they're, they're lacking in this area or lacking in that area. But you look at Utah and you, you just check it all off. Like, okay, that check, that check. And I think that's one of the reasons why they're having so much success. And, you know, it, it's, it's interesting listening to different people give their analysis of what's going to happen. Uh, I was just listening to First Things First this morning. And he was saying, um, you know, they have zero chance of what, you know, and sometimes I'm, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. And, and Nick Wright, Syracuse Nick alum. Wright. <laughs> yeah, right. Syracuse <laughs> alum. But he just went on this rant and was yeah, just did. like, they have zero chance of winning. And he was like, oh, and what they're doing now is cute. Okay, we can yeah. give an applause. He, it was like, you know, demeaning almost. He's like, yeah, but when it comes to the real deal, they have zero chance. And there's six teams that are better than them. And I'm just like, wow, like, why? Like, why all of that? Why is all that even necessary? And for zero chance, like, really? Like, zero? You can say that maybe they aren't your favorites. Okay. You can say that you think this team and this team has a better chance. But zero chance? Come on now. They're, they're playing too good to give them a zero chance of winning. You know, zero percent chance. And there's no Zero's way possible. Zero's I mean, a that's a zero? <laughs> zero? Right. I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it, it's it's a lot when when you're on that high wire act when it's live television and the red yeah. lights go and I guess I don't know what do you make of the entire league in what you're seeing in the way that 
the Jazz can compare to a Lakers or a Clippers or a Nets or or those six teams that <laughs> Nick says have better chances to win the championship. Uh, I don't know what Nick talking about, but <laughs> as far as far as the like the Lakers, I mean they're obviously you know struggling right now, and I think they're going to be you know. I, I think it would behoove them to rest Anthony Davis as much as possible and let his Achilles heal completely and don't rush him back. One of the things that you see sometimes is you see um, trainers and you see, you know, pressuring players to come back and, you know, come back early. I saw it happen while I was in Washington, um, you know, play through injuries and, and, you know, they ended up injuring themselves even more. I mean, my guy Jarvis Hayes, and I don't know if you remember him, but he, I was sitting there watching them. They were like, okay, just see if you can give me 20%. Or maybe, or they say, you know what? 60% from you is still better than 100% from the majority of the league. So let's see if you can just give me a little bit because our playoff chances are slipping and we're trying to get this position and they do that little thing or they do yeah. little hints like like what they did at, at Syracuse with Brahma Sidibe, our, our center. So the whole yeah. year they were like, well, Sidibe could come back you know, maybe a game or two, or he's looking good in practice, so maybe. And that's all putting pressure on the player to try to come back. And I'm so glad that Sidibe, you know, shut it down, said he's just going to get his knee right. That, that, was, that was a great decision. But that's what teams do at every level. So I say that to say I hope they don't do that with Anthony Davis. You know I mean? For his sake. Uh, we're, I'm here in D.C., and, you know, we have a verb now that we call that, you know, teams will RG3 a player. And that's, you know, what we're hoping doesn't happen. But that's just with the Lakers. I mean, with the Clippers, you know, you, they, they want to bounce back from their debacle last season, of course, in the bubble. And, you know, we'll have to see how they have some good games. You know, sometimes they look great. Sometimes they, you know, look a little discombobulated. But I think T. Lou, my former teammate, is doing a great job out there. So, you know, we'll see what happens with them. But I don't think anybody with eyes – can look at the Utah Jazz and say that they can't beat any of them. Come on now, 0% chance? <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> it comes down to matchups, obviously, the playoffs. You know this better than anyone. 0% chance, uh, that's, that's a little bit much. Uh, that's a lot th much. <laughs> there should be a 100% chance that you listen to the rematch with Kyle Korver because that man has been so, so important here mm in Utah because frankly, not much diversity. What'd you learn from that conversation with Kyle and, and what made it stand out for you? I thought it was a great conversation. I thought it was an honest conversation from Kyle Corver where he used himself and said, you know, this was my white privilege showing in these two incidents. And he talked about, you know, when he, his teammate, Sabo Sepalosha, who was my teammate for a year at Oklahoma City. And, you know, Tabo's a great guy. You know, my family loves his family. My kids love his kids. Like, nobody in the league can say a bad word about Tabo. Like, he's the nicest guy on earth. And he talked about when he heard that Tabo had got arrested or whatever happened with the NYPD and everything like that. And he said that his first instinct was, you know, what is Tabo doing out at that time in the morning? Like, what, what did he do to desert? Like, why, 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 what did he, you know what I mean? Like, as like jumping on the police's side. And then he heard later what happened and he felt terrible about it. He was like, wow. He was like that. My first instinct is to say that Tabo did something wrong. He was like, then after everything came out, Tabo did absolutely nothing wrong in that situation. And he felt bad. So then he, he used his platform to talk about uh, white privilege 
and being an ally and what that means. And it was, it was a really honest conversation. And I have a, you know, so much respect for Kyle Korver for him being that honest, because I think that's something that, you know, I'm sure it's uncomfortable to, to admit that, you know, you thought that, you know, and, and I, and I asked him, I was like, well, you think that translates a little bit to when you see a, a case where a police officer, you know, killed a black man or something like that. And you think to yourself, you know, well, you know, let's see what he did first. Let's see what happened. Maybe it was his fault. And he was like, absolutely hundred percent. And that's the reason why he wanted to come out and say it. He's like, now he actually knew Tabo. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's like, it's not somebody that he doesn't know. He know. knew Tabo. Yeah. He's like, so that makes it even worse. So I, I just really have a lot of respect for, for him and the way that he's using his platform and the honesty that Kyle Corver had. So nothing but respect for him. It takes some real guts to go out there and be vulnerable and, and say, I had these biases and I knew Tabos. I still right. knew him and I still right. felt this way. Translation that he's doing now on the arena with TNT. Mm-hmm. He, is, he is one of those voices that needs to continue to be listened to in this space. What else are you trying to accomplish in your foray with basketball news in the podcast? Who are some other people that you're looking to get out? So we've done a lot, you know, I, I interviewed Steven Jackson and Matt Barnes, both of them uh, separately and talked about their passions and the things that they're, that they're doing. Um, I mean, we're just going to keep on going, you know, there, there's so many interesting stories that, that I, I want to delve into um, with different athletes and, and the whole purpose of the rematch and why I call it the rematch is because it's like a chance to retell your story, like to re, re like a redo. And a lot of people you know, like we was talking about earlier, they don't really know athletes. They don't really know them. You know, they, they, they know them from what they have read or, you know, seen, but they don't really know them. So I want to give athletes this platform to be able to go deeper into who they really are and what they're really passionate about. Um, so I'm having a lot of fun with it. it. It's, you know, we've had some great, incredible interviews and have some great ones lined up in the future and, you know, going to keep on going with it. Well, I enjoyed the Syracuse Roundtable. Uh, obviously, enjoyed uh, Jim and Buddy on yeah, the podcast yeah, yeah. as yeah. well. Uh, plenty of Syracuse guests and non-Syracuse guests, if you're interested in that, on the rematch on Basketball News. Itan Thomas, thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. It was an honor. So keep doing what you're doing, and thanks for having me.